You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 743 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Wednesday evening, and I'm coming to you by myself this time around. If you missed it, I recorded an episode with Robbie Calland, formerly of Hawks.com and Peachtree Hoops and CBS Sports and other places, now over at Diamond Uprocks, and a frequent guest of the podcast. We talked about the 2014-15 team on Monday night, and uh, sort of a theme of the entire Locked On Podcast Network this week is talking about those kind of old teams. We'll have more content on that in the next um coming days, I will say. But on today's pod, I'm going to be coming to you live by myself, talking about um, some other stuff on the 1415 team. I made a bunch of notes. I wanted to pass along some of the nuggets that I uh, sort of uncovered slash remembered from that team. A little bit shorter podcast today, but alas, I hope you guys enjoyed that longer one. We have plenty more to chew on in in the past from draft podcasts, including uh, Spencer Perman and Ben Pfeiffer, as well as Jackson Frank from back in the day. Brian Schroeder's been on the podcast on this this particular uh, topic of the 2020 draft, and then also the player review series with Ben Ladner will continue pretty shortly as well so lots of content hopefully you you have subscribed to the show but if you have not done that i please uh, i'm pleading with you at this moment <laughs> to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and with that said we will get into uh some of the notes that i had so we'll split it up a little bit talk about the sort of the arc, the, the arc of the season some individual stuff and then talk about the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. And again, if you uh, more of the story time aspect with Robbie on the last podcast, and more to come on that era later on. But um, I said a little bit of this stuff on the previous pod, so forgive me for some uh, duplication. But um, I think it's important to kind of point out the way things actually went that season. The Hawks actually started slow in 14-15, um, which is kind of funny. They opened one and three on the season. They were five and five, and then they were seven and six. On Thanksgiving. Now, um, the season was starting a little bit later then than it does now, at least in the previous, uh, I would say pre-COVID-19 portion of the NBA scheduling period. But for instance, this season started in mid-October. The season used to start in very late October. um, And now, uh, obviously, would have have played more games than that before Thanksgiving. But 7-6 on Thanksgiving after opening 1-3 and 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 5-5, pretty much a slow start for a team that, I mean, I shouldn't say slow. I you know, the over-under that season was somewhere in the mid-40s, and that was kind of the pace they were on for much of the season. Then they kind of took off, as everybody knows. They won nine in a row after they were seven and six, so that, they already kind of kicked it into high gear up to 16 and six at that point in time. But um, they actually won 14 out of 15 and 16 out of 18 to end the calendar year of 2014, um, sort of into Christmas and into the, into the new year. And they did all of that before the famous January. So again, they won 16 of 18 to close 2014 before they went into the 17 and 0 January. Uh, and again, 17 and 0 for a month. They had the players, they had pl- the, the five man player of the month stuff that gets made fun of for good reason, but still it's probably kind of a good indicator of how good they were during that month. And uh, in that month of January, they had a 12.4 net rating, which is uh, actually, of course, outstanding. They were top four in offense and defense for the month of January when it comes to uh, net rating and all that stuff. But again, uh, it was not just January. There was the run before that and the run after that. In fact, they went from Thanksgiving on their next 35 games. These 2014-15 Hawks went 33-2. and It's a 35-game sample. They had a 98.5 D 
defensive rating, which was by far the best in the league over that time period. Also a top five offense. They led the, they led the NBA in that, in that run with a 58% almost true shooting. That is uh, fantastic, for instance, especially because especially in that era, like the true shooting, the offensive numbers are definitely more juiced right now than they were five years ago. And uh, those numbers would, would stack up to anything. That's how good they were offensively in that run as well. In addition to, again, the fantastic defense that they were playing. So they went from they went from seven and six to 40 and eight over a 35 game sample, which is again, just crazy. Still, you know, they, they did cool off a little bit from there because they just had to, but they still went 20 and 11 over, over their next 31 games after that run. So overall, that, that's a 53 and 13 run, but uh, 20 and 11 over that, over that even, even that sample is pretty, pretty effective. They did pedal off late. They lost their last three games when they really weren't trying. Everything was already clinched, number one seed, all that stuff. So they were not um, going pedal to the floor at the end of the season or they could have probably you know, won another game or two, but still a 61 season. And that kind of goes without saying, of course, from there, we have to talk about uh, sort of the individual stuff that happened. Uh, the la- sort of the big glaring one everybody points out and rightly so is the tabocephalosia injury. Um, that was of course, NYPD, NYPD related. Uh, there was a lawsuit, all that stuff. He was injured by them and they were 58, 19 when he played his last game. Um, by the way, Tabo had a, um, the second best net rating on the entire team for the season in terms of on off numbers. The Hawks were at plus 11.2 points per run possessions when Tabo played. Uh, only behind Kyle Korver, who was sort of the offensive linchpin in a lot of ways. But um, the Hawks were at their best defensively by a wide margin when Tabo played. I think people um, you know, rightly said that Damari Carroll played very well that season, and he absolutely did. But you could certainly argue that the team was actually at its best when it was Tabo at the three alongside Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver, and, uh, of course, the big guys in Paul Millsap and Al Horford. Um, and, you know, a 94.6 defensive rating with Tabo on the floor. That would have been the best in the league by a wide margin. Um, for the full season, though, the Hawks were fourth in net rating, which is obviously pretty good. I will say they did overachieve their net rating by their win total. Um, if you sort of go Pythagorean on the uh, on their win total in the way that things often happen now, for instance, like, you know, you imagine how that all went. They were expected to win 56 games by that number, which is still impressive, but not, not as impressive as 60. So there might have been a little bit of good fortune in their 60-win uh, point total, but again, they lost their last three games and probably could have won at least two of those had they actually been trying down the stretch. But fourth in net rating, fifth in defensive rating, sixth in offensive rating. So again, they were better defensively than offensively for the full season, which I think Hawks fans probably know, but nationally, um, not exactly well regarded for their defense in that run. It was all it was all about the beautiful game stuff offensively and the shooting and the ball movement, all that stuff. But defensively, they were lights out um, that season. And they were number one in defense from Thanksgiving on. So, you know, seven and six, as I said before, at Thanksgiving, and they went from that point forward, the last, you know, uh, almost 60, oh, sorry, almost almost 70 games, they were number one in the league in defense from that point forward. So that's, that's how good they were on the defensive end of the floor. Um, individually, I want to go through a couple of numbers here. No, nothing crazy to talk about this stuff, but um, Kyle Korver, for example, shot 49.2% from three. He shot 53% during the fabled 33-2 and two stretch from beyond the arc. He was uh, lights out. Obviously, you wouldn't argue that he was the best player on the team, on a team that had prime Millsap and put them prime Horford, but Corver's offensive stretch component definitely was probably what juiced the offense as much as anything. And uh, at, that, at that moment in time, the only guy you could even argue was was as good of a shooter as Corver was that season was Steph Curry, just because of the uh, the volume of the stuff. But Kyle, this was peak Kyle Corver in every way offensively. 
um, Paul Millsap had his most efficient his his most efficient offensive season in Atlanta. Um, you know, Paul was great during his time with the Hawks, but this, this was his best offensive season by by the numbers anyway. And defensively, he was already uh, lights out as he was his entire tenure. Damari Carroll had his career year pretty comfortably, and of course earned a massive contract that uh, sent him to Toronto after the season. He definitely earned that with the way that he played. Um, even if you want to say that they were better with Tabo, which I probably would argue at certain times, Damari was more prolific. His shooting clicked that season, and he was of course entertaining off the floor as well. Um, I would say Al Horford wasn't wasn't necessarily outlier good by his own standards, but he was awesome that year, certainly in the middle of his prime in his age 28 season, and Al was just a two-way force. Um, still, I will, I will always argue that both Al Horford and Paul Millsap were generally underrated nationally for how good they were. I said this on the podcast with Robbie, but I think both guys were pretty comfortably top 30 players in the league that season, and I know it's like pretty fashionable to talk about how the Hawks won 60 games uh, with Al Horford as their best player, as, as that's some sort of dig at Al, which I get what they're saying, but the Hawks had two legitimate all-star level players on that roster, and of course, uh, you know Kyle and <laughs> Kyle and Jeff made the team as well that year. You could argue against that if you want to, but those guys were all playing great. Uh, speaking of Jeff Teague, he had his highest effective field goal percentage and his highest assist rate of his career that season. Also, by far, his best defensive season of his career and his best sort of advanced all-in-one metrics were all that year. Jeff was uh, certainly, um, in my opinion, at least at his best during that run. And then, honestly, even off the bench, you know, Tabo was famously good that year. Dennis Schroeder was not probably at his absolute best. I think, you know, in fact, this season in Oklahoma City has probably been his best. But his defense was probably better back then in a smaller role. And I think Dennis was very, very helpful off the bench for much of that season. So, obviously, a lot of things to hit on in that regular season output. But you could certainly argue comfortably that Kyle Korver and Damari Carroll were very clearly their best at that point in time. You could certainly argue that Paul and Al were in the middle of their prime, if not their absolute best. Same for Jeff Teague. So if you want to be charitable, you could say five, six, seven guys have their best seasons of their career all at the same time. And uh, Mike Budenholzer, Mike until his until this season, I would probably argue, because Milwaukee's been incredible. Until this season, this is the best team that he had coached as well, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of uh, different accolades to get to, the four All-Stars, the, the players, the Player of the Month stuff, all that stuff. But uh, there you go, a good stopping point for a moment. And we'll get to the playoff stuff after the break, which is less positive, I have to say, but alas, I wanted to sort of dump all the nuggets that I had at you guys. Hopefully it wasn't too much uh, stat-heavy stuff, and we'll come back in a moment with more stuff on the playoffs. But before we get to that, let me tell you about one of the ultimate life hacks. It's hard to sit and find out, sit sit down and find the time to read and learn more. When you don't have the free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There's an incredible app that solves this problem, though, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is unique. And it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to. Successful people, like business leaders, are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for people like you who are busy but want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can get that information in your head right away for your own use. And with this audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute on your lunch break or even while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now as a massive growing library from self-help books to business books, health, history. Blinkist has all the latest titles from bestsellers list, as well as the classic nonfiction titles that you always meant to read, but you never had time to actually do it. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price right now. For a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. You go to Blinkist.com slash NBA to try it free for seven days and save 25% off a new subscription. Go to Blinkist.com. 
That is B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash NBA to start a seven-day free trial from there. You will also save 25%, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. That's Blinkist.com slash NBA. All right, and we're back to talk about a little bit of the playoff stuff. As I mentioned before with Robbie on the podcast on Monday, um, the Hawks were getting some criticism before they even got to the Cleveland series. Every, everyone probably knows if you listen to this podcast how this season ended in a sweet fashion. It's Cleveland, but I think actually the playoff run is a little bit uh, underrated at this point. Until then, a lot was made out of, those two, out of the first two series. For instance, they went, to, they went to six games with Brooklyn in the first round, and in a 1-8 series, going to six is not necessarily the greatest thing in the world, but they never lost at home. They, they lost two games on the road to Brooklyn, which is okay. And honestly, they outscored a playoff team. Obviously, the Nets were not fantastic that year, but they were still a pretty decent basketball team. They outscored them by 5.7 points per hundred possessions in the series, which is about what they outscored a team by for the full season. So they outscored a playoff team by the same level as they did the entire schedule. So that's fairly normal performance, I would say, in the first round. They took care of business. They were never, never really in trouble in that series, and there you go. Against Washington in round two, though, they lost game one at home, so people panicked. And I understand. I was, I was in the belief of that game. There was a lot of uneasiness. Especially because, you know, candidly, they were not playing as well as they had. You know, for instance, I said before the break, they had that 17 and 0 January. They had that 33 and 2 run, and they were 20 and 11 after that. But 20 and 11 is not 33 and 2. They were not playing as dominant basketball by that point. They were still playing well, but not as dominant. So people started a little bit of a panic after that. After that um, game one loss, then they were down 2-1 because they lost game three um, in Washington. So. From that point forward, Atlanta was clearly the better team. Uh, all the numbers in the series lean to the Hawks. I will say everybody points to John Wall getting hurt, and the Hawks could have been in trouble um, if he had been playing. But the Wizards were, as I said before on the podcast with Robbie, they were much better without Wall in that series. And you can sort of forget that because he was their best player and their most famous player, most most visible player. But in that series, if, if you go back and watch it, and I watched a little bit of film just to remind myself of some stuff in preference, I'm, I'm sorry, in prep for this podcast, the Wizards were actually really bad with John Wall on the court in the entire series. They were actually minus 8.5, and they were plus 1.2 without him. So you could argue they were just as competitive or more so without John Wall. Um, Generally, I would say it would be fair to say that the uh, Hawks didn't play incredibly well in that Washington series, but they came back and won. They did what they needed to do, and uh, you know, at the end of the series, it wasn't as if anybody felt like, like they actually stole something. I, I know the narrative's out there with John Wall, but uh, you know, they were uh, pretty comfortable still getting to the uh, conference finals. Now... The Cleveland series, we can go blow by blow. I won't go, I won't quite do that on this podcast because it's not necessarily set, set, set up for that. But um, I said this before, this is the one overarching step that I always point to. Cleveland shooting 40% from three in the series and the Hawks shooting 24% from three in the series. And given that Atlanta relied on three-point shooting the entire season to go ice cold in that spot, that's kind of where the bootnoser stuff has started as well, where you know they got bludgeoned on the glass um, by Tristan Thompson in particular, but Bud allowed, they, they allowed a lot of threes. Um, the J.R. Smith game, I, I'll point out to you now, game one was what set the narrative for the whole series, really. The Hawks shot four of 23 from three in game one. J.R. Smith hit eight threes off the bench. Yes, you're hearing that right. Eight threes for J.R. Smith off the bench, and you know J.R. is a big part, a big part of Cleveland's title runs, uh, title run, I should say, uh, finals runs. But he was not, you know, incredible at that point in time. So hitting eight threes in a, in a reserve role kind of um, was a avalanche. The rest of the team only hit two, but still, he doubled up the Hawks' entire output from three point range in that first game, which shut the tone from there. And even even in game two, the Hawks were six of twenty six from three. And nothing else was fluky, but if you combine to shoot 10 of 49 from three in two home games, again, the Hawks had the Hawks were number one seed. They had home court advantage in the series. 
and they opened a series with 10 of 49 from three, and they just couldn't afford to do that against, against a team that had LeBron James on it. Um, no, no one was good. No one was, was really good offensively, honestly, in the entire series. Paul Millsap was not great. He was pretty brutal offensively. Tristan Thompson had five offensive rebounds in both of the first two games. Al struggled. Um, actually, I would say Al was actually decent in game one. He was bad in game two, for sure. But, um, you know, some of the narrative stuff takes hold there as well. But the Hawks just didn't make shots in the first two games at home. And uh, we talked about uh, the Charles Barkley scene of in the meeting room yelling that they would not be coming back to Atlanta and that being prescient. I said this before, uh, at least alluded to it, but the Hawks actually played quite well in Game 3 in Cleveland. Um, not that they were really ever going to win the series, necessarily, but it is worth pointing out for sure that they did play well in that game. It's pretty impressive. Now, with no Kyle Korver, who was already uh, injured in controversial fashion um, previously in Game 2, and then Al Horford, the best player on the team, gets ejected in the first half. Um, LeBron was actually brutal in the first half of that game. They couldn't stop him late, though. They were up four, the Hawks were, with 90 seconds to go. Then they had the ball tied um, in the final possession, just couldn't score and put the game away. And from there, um, they get to overtime. Um, Shelvin Mack, legend, and who was probably like the ninth man on that team uh, for most of the season, actually gets in gets gets into the game, plays a lot in that uh, in that overtime period. Actually missed two threes in the final seconds that would have tied it. You know, probably would have lost the game anyway. You have to say, but alas, um, pretty competitive effort. And game four, they got bludgeoned. So uh, no no reason to even talk about that one. <laughs> um, but things that I want to point out here, because uh, you know the narrative takes hold again, as I said before, um, Kyle Korver missed the last two games of the series against Cleveland. In Cleveland, um, it was well chronicled at the time that Demari Carroll couldn't move. He got injured in Game One, and I honestly still cannot believe that he played Game Two. I watched him warm up, um, sort of peering into the old practice court. Uh, a lot of mem- media members were doing the same thing that I was doing before Game Two, and uh, if you just watched him moving in that practice session, trying to warm up for the game, you would have thought there was no way this guy was going to play in the NBA that um, that night, and he did. And I wrote a column about that at the time that's still available at But you know, sort of just the fact that Demar deserved better. He he played his heart out that night, and I can't believe still it will never leave my brain the way that Demar was able to battle through and even like basically not be able to walk but go out there and play and start Game Two. Um, Paul Mosup got hurt in April and was still battling through a shoulder injury. He missed he missed five games in April um, of the regular season and was never right again. He was playing through it, no excuses, but he was not himself, to be sure. Uh, Al Horford um, dislocated his finger on a shooting hand against Brooklyn, um, and that was uh, certainly a factor. And I will say this: the bench was just brutal in the playoffs. Um, the numbers were so ugly. The this is the entire. This is not just Cleveland series. This is the entire playoffs. Um, Kent Bazemore had a minus seven point two net rating. Dennis Schroeder minus twelve point eight, uh, minus thirteen point one for Mike Muscala, minus fifteen point six for Mike Scott. And th- those guys weren't playing a ton, but the Hawks just got bludgeoned when the guys were not. When, when the when the guys quote unquote were not on the floor in the entire playoffs, and that is worth pointing out as well. So not not an excuse making podcast, but there's a lot of context that gets lost. Um, again, I said this before, but. The Hawks are not going to win that series, I don't think. I kind of never thought that. Um, at the same time, it would have been more competitive had they been at full strength. LeBron is still, you know, there's a reason why we talk about in this podcast all the time, frankly, that you have to have a star, or at least one, preferably more than one, like absolute, you know, ecosystem kind of star to win at the highest, highest levels of the NBA. And the Hawks, you know, famously, and I think uh, I appreciated this and still do, um, were able to generate a top five offense without having that guy. Uh, you could argue Kyle Korver was at the peak of his powers, and that was uh, an offensive force. And like, you know, a lot of, it was kind of a rare thing. But still, to not have that number one creator, and if you look at all the teams that have won titles in the last, you know, thirty years or so, they all have that kind of number one option offensively. Going, you know, from Jordan to Bird 
to magic, you know, up and down Hakeem uh, in Houston. You're talking about all the uh, the Spurs teams. You could say that Duncan was that guy. I mean, he was a top three player in the league the entire time. He was basically playing in his prime. Um, you know, you could say that Detroit was an exception in 04, but they hey, they were just loaded and Billups made every big shot. Uh, obviously, LeBron, you know, Curry, et cetera, et cetera. You have to have that guy, and the Hawks just didn't have that guy. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Al Horford and Paul Millsap, but those guys were not like number one offensive options. They were more well-rounded players, incredibly good players, and underrated offensive players, honestly, but not guys that were going to carry you. So at the end, the other team had LeBron, the Hawks didn't, so they weren't going to win that series, I don't think, but it should have been more competitive. It would have been more competitive had they been more healthy. Um, Tabo, Damari, you know, Kyle missing the last two games, Paul not being 100%, et cetera, et cetera. So all that to say, the playoff run was not what you wanted, obviously, but the regular season was just incredible. I mean, again, to say, it, 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 the Atlanta Hawks, a team that I have sort of grown up with um, first as a fan, now covering professionally, um, to go 33-2 and in a season, um, in a season run against good, good competition. I mentioned the uh, Warriors game on the pod with Robbie, but that was the game that I will always remember of the regular season and the best, I mean, probably the best NBA game that I've ever attended. Um, certainly one of the best I've ever seen in the regular, in the regular season even just the high level of play from the eventual champion the Warriors to the number one seed in Atlanta and of course the Hawks actually played well enough to win that game and won it at home just a lot of memories that I will always carry um, I was young still in my uh, NBA writing um, quote-unquote career I'm not obviously this is my second career but um, one of those things where you know it's that's five years ago and uh, I knew a lot less than that I do now about everything so I was definitely more green and uh, enjoyed that one in a big way I was definitely more emotionally invested back back then that I am uh, now trying to be more professional about the way that I cover things but a lot of different things colliding all at once a fun season that I'll never forget and just to wrap this up a little bit this is that, that was still the you know, I would say clearly the best team in Atlanta Hawks history I know they have the title in St. Louis but it's sort of that team versus the Dominique prime teams. There's two or three other teams that were mid-50s to high-50s kind of win total teams, but I would say regular season-wise, it wasn't even really a close argument, and uh, the only team in Atlanta history to make the conference finals. Um, so, you know, Dominique, you could certainly argue that they had a clear path, and if Larry Bird didn't exist, maybe that maybe one of those teams um, from the late 80s were uh, would have made the NBA Finals, but um, still, they uh, this is the team that I would choose in terms of just even objectively looking through the numbers and the way that things uh, played out. The number one seed, um, you know, all that stuff, 60 games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, I firmly believe that team is now underrated, especially nationally, frankly. It's just one of those things where, uh, you know, because of the way that it'd be, there's not really an appreciation for it, but there is a cult following. I, I do think the people that, that cover the league during that time uh, have a uh, fond appreciation. If you bring up the 1415 Hawks, they will remember sort of the beautiful game aspect of nothing else. Um, Corver shooting and the passing and the free flowing offensive stuff that everybody really enjoyed. And that's sort of Bud's taking that to a new level now with Giannis, um, but still a lot of the same principles going on on both ends of the floor, frankly. Um, so there you go on that. I've, I've blubbered on enough about that team, but we'll probably come back to that at some point in terms of referencing it. But I want to uh, spend some time. Um, in terms of the network-wide effort, talking about the best teams in franchise history, that uh, that's the de- that's number one for me, pretty clearly. So I wanted to do uh, two podcasts on that one, and we'll, and we'll talk about the other teams more as we get into the next couple of weeks. So thank you for listening to the show. As I said before, we will have plenty of content when it comes to the NBA draft. We've already started that content with Spencer Perlman, Ben Pfeiffer, etc. We'll have more with Ben Ladner on player reviews. We'll have free agency talk when we get there. I will update you on all things going on elsewhere. 
Uh, for instance, Trey Young, Young is now apparently going to be uh, be in the horse competition that ESPN is going to broadcast, as well as the 2K tournament. So Trey's very busy this time of year, um, despite everybody else not being, being so busy. So um, we'll have plenty of updates about how things are going to go. The MLB discussions about playing um, in Arizona, maybe that leads to the NBA figuring something out on their own. So hopefully basketball will be back in the somewhat near future. But regardless, we will be here talking about content. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. If you know anyone that likes the Hawks that has not found our podcast, please share it with them. If they hate it, that's on me, but uh, give give us a shot, please. I really appreciate everybody that's already supported the show. It's already been uh, really gratifying to hear some of the people that have uh, enjoyed the podcast during this weird time and enjoy that we're still talking about basketball. So thank you for the kind words on all of that as well. Uh, we'll, be back, we'll be back again, at least one more podcast this week. So stay tuned for all of that and we'll see you guys next time.